He was a member of all five Edmonton Oilers Stanley Cup winning teams. Then, Randy Gregg said, enough of this. I'm just going to be a doctor. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up. Welcome to the program. Our special guest today is a native of Edmonton. He was a star defenseman at the University of Alberta. He won two national championships there. He was named the CIAU Player of the Year. He played on two Canadian Olympic teams. He, was a me- he is a member of Canada's Olympic Hall of Fame. He played 10 NHL seasons with the Oilers and Canucks, won five Stanley Cups in Edmonton. He is now a physician with Lifemark Sports Institute. Welcome to the program. Dr. Randy Gregg. Randy, great to have you here, my friend. Yeah, thanks to be here. It's, uh, it's nice to uh, talk about lots of different things. We'll get a chance to talk about a lot of different things. I want to start at the beginning because I like to do that. Uh, did I hear you grew up in Inglewood? Is that right? You know, my family grew up in a 730-square-foot house in Inglewood, and uh, I had six. we had six kids. I was the youngest, so... I always tell people the first time I slept alone was after I got married. So it was it was a tight household, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's funny because uh, I grew up in Dovercourt, right? Do you ever remember playing against Dovercourt in hockey and there was a, a speedy winger with the hands of cement? Uh, that would have been me. <laughs> well, it's I'm somewhat sure, speedy. I'm sure you winger. went around me, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I was a, a light post for sure. So that's for sure. <laughs> A solid one, that's for sure. Um, so where, where'd you go to high school? So, yeah, I went to Inglewood and then uh, to uh, Westmount. Uh, 1913 yeah. Westmount School was built, so it was great. The, uh, the gymnasium was about half a gymnasium, and when you were playing basketball, they had to open up the doors because when you did the layup, you ended up going right down into the hallway. So that was nice. And then Ross Shepherd High School, which is great. So that was a big uh big step up from Westmount but you know looking back on it those were you know exciting times and when you're young like that any time you have the chance to play some sports and be involved with with great leaders it's a good thing well you know what I was uh, I went to Rosh up as well probably that I was there at the same time as you the difference between you and me would have been uh, one distinct difference would have been the fact that uh, when the school bus stopped to drop everybody off at Rosh uh, I got off and went across the street to Westmount Mall where I hung around the mall. Uh, so I, I didn't do really well in, in, in high school. I actually had to go back to school and get some, uh, get some education a little bit later on. But uh, you must have, like, I've, I've got information here that says uh, you were in university at 16 years of age. Is that true? I mean, did you, it sounds like you were a real, uh, a real life uh, Doogie Howser, a good doctor happening here. You know, I, I think just uh, luck uh, had it. You know, when you're the youngest of six kids, I probably was skating when I was three and, and uh, doing the alphabet when I was four. I had lots of good uh, helpers as older siblings. Um, so, yeah, I had a chance to to get there. And it was good and bad. You know, when you're 16 years old in university and everybody's 18 or 19, they're going to the bar and they're having fun and social life is important. Uh, you know, it wasn't an easy time, but it did allow me to, uh, to push myself academically. Um, you know, and it's interesting to talk about taking the bus to uh, to Rosh Shep. 
Well, we lived so close, we had to walk. And I would walk through that West Mount uh -huh. Mall uh, to school and back from school every day. So I know the mall very well. When I was uh, 15, I, I think I was about five foot three. So I was very small. And when I was 16, I was think I was six foot four. So I kind of uh, grew fairly quickly there wow. in one year. And looking back on it, wasn't a bad thing because when you're small and trying to play a sport like baseball or hockey, um, you couldn't use your size advantage. So you had to learn the skills of the game and uh, just to kind of survive at that small uh, size. And then, of course, when you got bigger, people thought, oh, maybe there's a chance for you to play a little bit higher end uh, sport. So did you try out for the, the Golden Bears uh, when you got there? And uh, by that time, I guess you were six foot four or on your way there. Uh, is that when you tried out uh, for Claire Drake's uh, Bears? Not at all. You know, when I was 16, there was no way that I would ever be able to play for that team. And that was my goal of my life. Can you imagine being able to play one year with the U of A Golden Bears? My, my life would be complete with that. But anyway, my first three years, I was in science. And to get into medical school, uh, you really have to work hard. There's long hours, lots of labs and things like that. So even if I was good enough, and I really wasn't, uh, it wouldn't be possible for me to play with the Golden Bears. My first year of medical school, um, I, I got into medical school, luckily. I'm not sure how I did that. And my older brother, who's a doctor, came to me and said, okay, Randy, you know, stop all this hockey, this baseball stuff. You're in medical school. You got to spend all your time doing that and forget about all the sports stuff. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Anyway, there happened to be an open practice, an open tryout. So I thought, well, I'll go to the open tryout. They'll cut me after the first day, and then I'll go back to medical school and be a doctor. <laughs> anyway, that first day turned into four years and a couple of national championships. And most importantly, being exposed to some great coaching. Uh, Claire Drake took a lot of us who were very average players and made us uh, more than average players for sure. Well, you know, there's there's now a, a Dr. Randy Gregg Award for the Canadian University student who best exemplifies outstanding achievement in hockey, academics, and community involvement. How, how does that feel? It's something I'm guessing you probably didn't expect when you were trying out no, in fact, it was just so much fun. Uh, but, you know, there were some trying times, you know, when I look at the young interns and what they have to do, I, I remember telling them often uh, in, in third year, I was a student intern in surgery. And uh, just to give you kind of an idea of what the schedule is like during the hockey season, uh, when you're in, in surgery, you're on call uh, every third night. So, of course, the Golden Bears would play Friday and Saturday night. So I'd purposely be on call Thursday and Sunday. So Thursday morning, wake up at, uh, and be in the OR by 7, go right uh, till 5 o'clock in the OR, and then uh, be on call. And, of course, in surgery at the university hospital is very busy, so you'd be up all night. And 7 in the morning Friday, go right back to the OR, right till 5 o'clock. And uh, then finally I'm finished. So I'd go home, and my mother would have my pregame meal ready, and I'd eat the pregame meal. And I said, Mom, I, I want to have a little nap. Wake me up in three minutes. And so uh, I got three minutes of sleep and then got went to the game. And, you know, at that age, you could do stuff like that. Now I think I'd, I'd probably be dead. Um, but, you know, you, you didn't know any better. You, you love the idea. I, and I really like the combination, the academic component, the mental uh, stress and strength that you gain from medicine and the physical prowess and, and uh, commitment you have in hockey. So I thought it was a really nice combination. But it got a little touchy there every now and then. Well, that sounds like a lot of work and three minutes, three minutes sleep. Uh, that's not a lot. <laughs> I guess when you're really, when you're young, it's a little easier, but that's, that's, that's not a lot of, a lot of sleep. Um, so when did you know that this might be something you could do is juggle both careers? When did you say, okay, I might be able to be a hockey player and a doctor? 
Yeah, so really, I, I never was. Um, you know, it was interesting. I think in my fourth year, the trainer of the Golden Bears came down in the dressing room and said, Randy, there's a scout for the Calgary Flames up there. He wants to talk to you. And, you know, like I was just a university player. I was going to medical school. I thought, what, what do they want to talk to me for? So anyway, I went up, and this fellow was a really nice uh, gentleman. He said, Randy, we, we think you could potentially play in the NHL. And, you know, if you sign this tryout contract, we'll guarantee that you'll get a tryout with the Calgary Flames. I was a free agent at the time because when I was in – my my draft year was – I was in medical school. So, of course, who would waste their time on a medical student to mm -hmm. draft them? Not that I was particularly good anyway, but but there wasn't an option really. So, anyway, I looked at the, the scout from the Calgary Flames and says, well, um, if I sign this, that means I, I can negotiate with Calgary and none of the other 25 teams. Uh, and don't you think if I'm good enough, I should get a tryout anyway? And he kind of looked and said – you don't really want to sign this, do you? I said, nah, I don't think so, but thanks for the <laughs> offer. So uh, the next year we went to the Olympics and then I had, uh, you know, 27 teams to choose from. Uh, so I think it was probably a smart idea not to sign that trout agreement with the Calgary Flames. Well, you know, you, you, you downplay your ability as a hockey player, but, you know, uh, you, guys, you guys went to the national title three years in a row. You won the national title two years in a row. And uh, one of those seasons, you were also named the CIU Player of the Year. Tell us about those uh, those championship teams and what uh, stuck out for you. You know, uh, it's funny after you look back on a career where they pay you to play, and that's called the business. And of course, it's it's still hockey and still get to play. But one of the beauties of the university experience in hockey is that you're doing it because of the passion. You you get nothing uh, other than bumps and bruises and the chance to to bus around uh, Western Canada, um, the camaraderie that's created in an environment like that where you're doing it for all the right reasons. And, and again, nothing wrong with professional sport. There's lots of really good uh, reasons to, to do that as well. But I look back on that and knowing that, you know, my parents were in the stands, uh, my, my brothers and sisters, and just to share that with them and uh, to represent something that I never, ever thought I could ever reach that, that level, university level. Also, a, a special time, it really showed me that leadership on any team is so important and uh you know it almost sounds cliche as to talk about Claire drake and what a great leader he was but he really developed a lot of uh, great men out of his program uh he was such a such a fine gentleman uh, he showed us that although he loved to win he realized that there was more he wanted more out of the game of hockey for his players than just simply winning so i look back on that as a really great experience not only from the standpoint of learning how to play the game uh, learning how to be disciplined in my profession, but also how to bring my children up. So, uh, yeah, I, I tribute uh, Claire Drake and then further than that, Father David Bauer for really uh, developing a perspective in sport that, that I really appreciated. So after university, um, you took a couple of years off to go play in Japan. What was the motivation for, for doing that? Yeah, so after the uh, after the fourth year, and I graduated from medical school, um, we had the opportunity to go to the 1980 Olympics, and and that was, to be honest, uh, the best experience I've ever had in my life. We were paid four thousand dollars. We were busing around Europe together. It was a, a wonderful experience, and primarily because of the leadership we had. Father David Bauer uh, was such an amazing man, and uh, I learned, uh, as we all did, so much from him. Uh, and, and much more than just hockey. You know, he used hockey, again, to develop qualities in people that he really felt were important. Um, 
so when I, uh, I had this experience with the Olympic team and thought, you know, I'd really like to stay amateur and play in the next uh, Olympics. And so although there were a number of offers from the NHL teams, I thought, well, maybe I can go to Tokyo and, and play there. The good thing about the uh, league in Tokyo was six months, so I could come back and do my internship during the off-season. So on a Friday, I'd leave uh, Tokyo and fly back home on a Monday. I'd be at the Royal Alk Hospital doing an internship. So it, it worked out really quite well. I was able to do a one-year internship in about two years. Um, but after two years, I realized that, um, you know, uh, Alan Eagleson was a, a big part of the uh, Olympic program at that time and, and didn't share the vision that a lot of us uh, had. Um, so I, I kind of thought, well, you know what? I might never get a chance to play in the NHL. I, I should try it. My wife at the time, who is still my wife, I guess, you know, I met her in the Olympics. She was a two-time uh, Olympic speed skater, and she didn't want anything to do with the NHL. She didn't want an NHL husband. She wanted just a husband. She wanted uh, a father of our children. And so I kind of talked her in. I said, you know what, I'll play for two years, and then let's get on with our life. And and fortunately for us, the, in the second year, we went to the Stanley Cup final. And looking around in the dressing room with guys like Messi and Gretzky and Fuhrer and Coffee and Lowe, and I thought, geez, maybe this team could do some things. So now, those two years kind of morphed into nine or ten years. And, uh, you know, although it was always a, a great challenge and a privilege to be with those players, you know, I knew my life was not going to be uh, just hockey. It, I had some other academic goals and, and certainly goals to be with my children as much as possible. Well, yeah, you were in a great position that way. You, you were able to play the game you really enjoyed playing and, uh, of course, have the career that you, you always wanted as well. But uh, you played on two Olympic teams. We actually have some video from uh, the 1980 Olympics, and uh, we got some video of a lovely goal you scored, stealing, uh, stealing a puck in your own end and a nice end-to-end -end rush, and then you're going to wire it past uh, Vladislav Trechev. Can we roll that? Here we go. Here we go. There you go. Randy Greggs with a steal right there. Here we go. So at this point, you haven't played in the NHL. You've just beaten one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. What? Uh, tell us about that experience, that entire Olympic experience. And, and you mentioned you, you met your wife as well. Yeah, so first of all, you know, I've, I've got to tell you I'm a 50-goal scorer in the NHL. What I, I don't want to tell you is it took me nine years to get them all. So this was an interesting time, uh, probably the most important hockey game in, in my life right there, a wrist shot from the blue line to beat uh, Vladislav Trecek on, on the uh, glove side. I showed my sons that stick that I used, and they said, Dad, are you kidding me? I can't even pick that stick up. So when you think about the sticks they're using now, and I mean, I did get a little bit lucky there. Um, but at the end of that game, and we were, that got us up 3-1, uh, right at the end of the second period, they scored a goal to make it 3-2. And we were just a bunch of kids. This was the most hardened, probably the best non-professional, professional hockey team in the history of the game. And uh, and we knew something big was coming. They came and beat us 5-3. to three. And I remember at the end of the game, Glenn Anderson, who became a Hall of Famer, uh, crying in the dressing room uh, and and not because the Olympics were over. It's just he just wanted so much for that team. He, we all wanted to show Father Bauer and Claire Drake what we could do. We, we bonded together so tightly. Um, so in that way, it was a really great experience. My mother was up in the stands. My father didn't like flying, so he was watching at home. And then fortunately, um, you know, shortly 
after that game, I met this cute little speed skater from Canada um, who was originally from Winnipeg, and, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Um, so, there yeah, she is. It, it was a really – it was a really great experience. Yeah, it's, you know, it's awful when your wife has stronger legs than you do. She's about 130 <laughs> pounds. I'm 220, but that's what those speed skaters will do for sure. Um, yeah, looking yeah. back on it, you Kathy know, the Vogt, Olympic Games yeah. are, are different now. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what a, I mean, obviously, it was a life-changing experience in, in so many ways for you. That's that's, uh, And then you come back from the Olympics, and, and as you mentioned, you got a chance to uh, – Basically, choose where you wanted to go, and and uh, was I would assume that being an Edmonton boy, the owners would have been your first choice, and you know, an up and coming team. Oh, you know, for both those reasons, my mother and father, all my family, were season ticket holders. You know, the chance to play in front. Of them. I think if I did sign with the Calgary Flames, my entire family would disown me. So <laughs> there was reasons to do that. The New York Rangers flew uh, me and my brother down to New York to watch a, a playoff game. They were very interested, but. You know, really, I I, uh, I bled oiler blue back then, like the rest of my family. And so to play in front of them and to, you know, I I just don't think that I would have played in the NHL a long time if it wasn't for representing my city. Uh, the the fabulous teammates we had. I mean, wonderful, wonderful guys. Mark Messi, such a leader. Uh, Wayne, who's you know arguably the best player ever. And but all the role models, the uh, the Grant Fuhrers in his quirky way could lead us, and Kevin Lowe, and all those people were really such a big part of the team. So the pride we had in our team was quite something. So I think for that reason and the fact that I was able to look up and see my parents in the stands every time turned a two-year career into a nine- or ten-year career. But uh, interestingly enough, I was in Tokyo my second year, and uh, the phone rang, and uh, I was in Sapporo, actually. And um, this fellow said, hi, my name is Glenn Sather. I'm in, in Tokyo. I came over <laughs> to see you. And I thought, oh, Glenn Sather, you're the coach of the Oilers. Um, anyway, I was in Sapporo, which is about a two and a half hour flight. He said, yeah, I was Peter Pockman was coming over for some beef deal. And so I decided to come, you know, we're interested in talking to you once you're finished here. So give me a call when you get back. So anyway, I, uh, I realized that uh, although Japan was a wonderful experience and, and I could have kept on going there, I thought, you know, this is the time. So I, I went and talked with, uh, with Glenn and, uh, it was a kind of an interesting time because he sat me down in the office and this was Glenn Say, the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. And, and he offered me a contract that was just a fabulous four-year guaranteed contract. I mean, out of the, this world. And and I said, Glenn, thanks very much. But, you know, I, I think I'm going to go back to medicine. So I got up and I started walking out of his, his office. And uh, he said, Randy, sit down. So I came back. He offered another <laughs> 50000 or something like that. And I said, Glenn, I really appreciate it. You know, and, and you're a very generous offer. But, you know, I, I just think it's time for medicine. So I got up and started walking out again. He said, Randy, sit down again. So <laughs> he offered another 50000 or something like that. Finally, I said, geez, he, I better stop doing this because if he didn't call me back, that's <laughs> it for me. But what I wanted to do is is not the money. that He was offering way more money than I ever dreamed of. What I wanted him to know was this, hockey wasn't my life. And, you know, if I don't send me to the minors, I'll just quit. If you don't want me, I'll just quit. And I never got sent to the minors. Uh, I never was berated, although I probably deserved that. And so we, we developed a respect, I think, that, um, that I, I really enjoyed because I, I loved it. I committed to the Oilers as much as anyone. But if it wasn't going right, you know, don't trade me. Don't send me to the minors. I'll just, I'll just leave. Um, and, and fortunately, the academic background of medicine allowed me to, to make those two calls right there. Um, anyways, he, he took me down. We signed a contract, went down. This is right before 
I think the 1981 uh, playoffs and he introduced me to the players and says, guys, don't worry. He's not taking your job. This is for next year. He's just going to practice with you. So uh, we started, I started practicing and one of the defensemen struggled in the first game against Los Angeles. So uh, this was about a week after I'd come back from Tokyo playing against Japanese players. And Glenn came up and said, you're playing the next game. And I thought, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so uh, I can remember like it was yesterday. I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I remember this one. I'm out there in right defense in front of Grant Fuhr, and I look up, and there's my family watching me for the first time playing in the playoffs. Well, it ended up that that was the miracle in Manchester when Los Angeles yeah. came back and beat us. And the fellow who struggled and who I replaced there was a young man named Paul Coffey, who's a Hall of Famer. So I don't know what Glenn was thinking, me replacing him. But Paul was young then, and, of course, he became a fabulous player and, and much better than the rest of us for sure. So Paul Coffey got scratched in favor of Randy Gregg, and, and Glenn Sather was able to keep his job. <laughs> it's hard to believe. It never happened again, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know what? There, you, you, know, you did it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so many people who uh, were alive then uh, remember the, the game in Los Angeles where we were up five to nothing. And the miracle, of course, of Manchester when they came back to beat a six five. Well, at five nothing, there was a skirmish. And, you know, in Japan, if you if you fight, you get kicked out of the game. And, and at U of A, same thing. So, I, you know, I was never a great fighter. I think my wife could probably beat me up if she wanted. Um, so anyway, there was a skirmish and this big guy grabs me and I thought, well, I got to grab him. You know, we might go, go toe to toe. Anyway, it was Charlie Simmer. Charlie's one of the nicest guys around. He grabs me and said, Hey doc, how you doing? I thought, good. I'm glad you picked <laughs> me. So we danced around a little bit, but anyway, we got the third man in because at that in, in the NHL, then you had to separate. So he kind of grabbed me. So Charlie and I were in, um, in the uh, penalty box at that time. When I went into the penalty box, we were winning five, nothing. And when I got out 10 minutes later, it was 5-5. So I watched that miracle Manchester from the penalty box. They finally uh, scored the sixth goal and went on to beat us. So that was a, a memorable time. Not a, a great one for me, though. No, that, that's a tough way to, to break in. No doubt about that. I remember Jerry Buss, the owner of the Kings, was uh, ended up leaving the building. And uh, was so disgusted when the team fell behind 5 nothing, And then the Kings came back to win that. But didn't do that again. Uh, <laughs> to you guys, oh, you know, like we we uh, we we've got uh, we got an interview uh, you did back in the day explaining some of the attitude that reporters had to your profession in hockey and in medicine. Uh, Vic, if we can roll it for all that. An analogy I like to describe about this is a, is a very bad experience that I had with a reporter from a Montreal newspaper. He had flown down to Pittsburgh to do an article. I think my first or second year. Of course, the the typical here's a doctor in a in a hockey team it, it shouldn't work uh, you know he is too smart too intelligent and and that was the focus of his his article he tried to to make the point that hockey players are very ignorant and all they know is hockey and drinking and and partying and they have no educational background his last question to me was well how does it feel when you're up in your room reading medical books when the other fellows are sitting in their room reading comic books so, you know, I couldn't believe that anyone would ask a question like that. But, of course, I, I mentioned that certainly that's not the case and that many of the qualities that the players show on and off the ice, the handling of the media, the fans, the pressure, the discipline and intensity they show towards their teammates and towards the game they play, give me more respect for them than many of the doctors that I work with in the hospital. 
So was that thinking prevalent back there? Then uh, you know, kind of thinking that you know, you know, hockey players are are, are dumb and read comic books and and uh, you don't belong here type thing. And, well, I, I think so. Now that man, and there's a good end of that story. In fact, uh, so that was the quote I had. The Montreal Gazette came out, um, and I think it was picked up by the Hockey News. And in quotation marks at the end of our interview, it said, "Well, I'm usually in my room reading medical books, and they're in their room reading comic books. But on the whole, they're pretty good guys." End of quotation marks. So you can imagine a first or second year player coming wow. in, and now everybody. Yeah. Who yeah. every hockey player in the NHL reads this is what, what, what kind of guy is this? How arrogant is he? Let's run his head through the boards. And I probably deserve that. Anyway, the next time I saw that fellow, I grabbed him by the shirt, I threw him up against the wall, and I said, If you ever do that to another hockey player, you know, there'll be consequences. Because now, fortunately, you know, I wasn't an, an, an awful player. I didn't stick people from behind. I was, I was, I think, maybe just reasonably disciplined. So, I don't think many people really believe that that's what I said, but you know, it is interesting. We, we learn and, and, you know, I was there in, in New Jersey when Wayne called the New Jersey devil, uh, devils, uh, you know, Mickey mm -hmm. Mouse organization. And, and we paid for that long and hard for the next number of years. And Wayne was just being honest, you know, and, and he was being honest because um, Ron Lowe, a good friend of his was the goalie. And, and he was basically saying New Jersey has to get some good defense. They have to, You'd be a strong team defensively to support my friend Ron Lowe, who's there. It was misconstrued, and and Wayne will never and mm -hmm. has never since made a comment like that. Um, but you know, when you're when you're misrepresented to make a statement that you don't believe in, you know, it's not very easy. Uh, but you, you're right. You know, uh, it's amazing. Uh, we were very successful, and, and I think if our team, because they were all young and vibrant, I was married at the time, so and people like Lee Fogelman were married. We were the older guys, but. You know, one of the the amazing qualities of that team was they partied hard. We went out. You know, we'd go to New York, and Mark would say, "Guys, put your bags in the in the room. We're going out." And you just went out. It's just the way it was. And and I think one of the ways that we became successful was that that demand of being a team. You're gonna you're gonna eat together. You're gonna drive together. You're gonna drink together. You're gonna play together. And uh, and it worked. It worked for that group. And it's one of the nicest experiences um, that we could have as a, as a team together. Well, we have another interview I want to run because this is from uh, another interview back in the day. It was your second year in the NHL. You were asked about trying to juggle your playing career with your medical career and putting that on hold at the time. So this is a little shorter. Yeah, I, Here we I go don't think bit. of it very much, especially going into the playoffs right now. Our number one concern is to finish the season strongly and, and go into the playoffs with uh, a big boost. Uh, I guess it's in the back of my mind all the time, and it's something that I, I have to decide, I guess, at the end of the season. It's, it's not very big of a decision right now, I think, because the Oilers are playing so good, and we're having a lot of fun playing. I think we reflect that on our skating and our, our enthusiasm out on the ice. But uh, for myself, individually, I guess I have to make sure that I don't lose too much, because uh, going back to medicine is going to be a very trying experience as well. I would guess with all the changes in that field that happen every day, you're going to have to do a lot of reading and spend some time in the library. Exactly, and I must admit, also we have a lot of time on the road. You're always thinking about hockey. You're thinking about the next game and some of the mistakes you've made before. So uh, I'd like to be able to go down to the library and read, but it's really impossible. They pay me to play hockey, not to be a doctor. Okay, yeah, so that sort of touched on what we were saying earlier. But uh, now, when you're uh, joining the Oilers and you're, you know, you're, you're 
joining a team that's pretty darn good and you guys start to gel and in the second year uh you know you guys made it all the way to the cup final before losing to the islanders um you added a nice element to that team six foot four 225 pounds stay-at-home defenseman and uh tell, tell us about what you felt like uh you know like what you felt your role was like at that particular time and where you where you fit in and and uh, what your job was Yeah, so you know when uh, when my boys were six and five, uh, we had a house that it had an unfinished basement, and so we used to go down and play floor hockey in the basement. And uh, my youngest son would look at me and said, "Dad, I want to be Jeff Bukaboom." He liked the name, I guess. And uh, <laughs> and my other son said, "Dad, I'd like to be Mark Messier." And then they look at me and say, "Dad, who do you want to be?" And uh, so. You know, I, I think we're realistic. Uh, you know, I was a, I was an average player at best. I was a, a role player. Uh, we had such fabulous leaders, such fabulous offensive players. But there was the Lee Fogelin and the Kevin Lowe and, and maybe to some degree what we could do on the ice to help them out from a defensive standpoint. But, you know, uh, we're not lack, we, we never lacked the self-confidence to say, oh, we feel bad that we're not as good as we. I mean, we were just so amazed at the qualities, the physical and the leadership qualities that people like Wayne Gretzky and Mark Macy would bring to the team. And we knew that, you know, our job was small, but it was an important job. And I think maybe when looking back at one of my most important jobs was I was the roommate of Yaroslav Pozar. Yaroslav was a Czechoslovakian player who played in a number of world championships, a number of Olympics, I think. And he didn't know how to speak English. So they put him with me. And so I was kind of Yaroslav's uh, teacher. And so, you know, we'd, uh, we get to, to speak a little bit more and more, but you, you talked about that second year when we went and we got beaten, not beaten, we got thrashed by the New York Islanders four games to nothing. And that was the story when the reporters would go by the Islanders dressing room and everybody have five or six bags of ice on every, every part of their body that they, mm -hmm. they knew how they had to commit to work. And during that, and of course, I think Wayne had scored 213 points. It was just amazing. And yet we weren't a team. You know, we were uh, a, a bunch of great players, some role models, but we weren't a team. And, of course, you remember that uh, even now the players will often have playoff beards and, you know, the wives hate it. And you know, I've got this great big red beard. And when we finally mm -hmm. lost the fourth game on Long, on Long Island, we were all down there and shaving off our beards. And, uh, again, it was like yesterday, shaving off the beard, saying, "What? how can we beat this team? But anyway, we sat down and the coaching staff had some comments and so forth. Mark had some, Wayne had some, and then Yaroslav Pozar got up in his Randy Gregg defined English language skill. <laughs> he talked about how if you really want to win, you've got to learn how to play as a team. Wayne, 213 points. It's great. We have to play defense. We have to play as a team. We were beaten by a great team, the New York Islanders, and it was a wake-up call. And I, I love the fact that Yaroslav, who was a bit player as well, a third-line winger, an amazing man, a bear of a man, uh, but he knew that, that it took more than goals and assists to be a great team. And interestingly enough, it was that same team we beat four games to one to win our first Stanley Cup the next year. Well, you know, I, I you did, even though you didn't weren't an offensive threat per se, uh, you did score from some pretty important goals along the way. We do have uh, some video of a very important you score, uh, goal you scored. Uh, on the way to that first title, it was an overtime winner against Winnipeg. Uh, Vic, if you can roll that. Um, your second season, 
Uh, you had 13 goals. Oh, never, never mind. Anyway, you had a good overtime winner against the uh, against the Winnipeg Jets in that in that in that Stanley Cup run. We don't have it with with us, but in your second season that year, you lost to the Islanders. You had 13 goals, 40 points, not bad for a big stay-at-home defenseman. But does the day, uh, the date, Saturday, May 19th, 1984, ring a bell? Well, it's not my anniversary, so I, I know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really ring too much yeah. of a bell. Well, that was the day, that was the night you guys finally got past the Islanders. Um, that was the, uh, the game five, the, 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 the victory, game five victory. Um, what was your favorite memory from that night? So, uh, so two things. Uh, first of all, we were up, uh, I think, under two goals. It was still a close game. And uh, I got the puck in the uh, defensive right corner, and I wanted to ring it around the boards and get it there. I shot it in my stick, my old Louisville stick, about 400 pounds. Uh, it, it didn't serve me well, and the puck went out to the right defenseman. And I thought, oh, my God, if they score the goal, I will be the GOAT, and I deserve to be that. So I sprawled out. I, I turned out to be about seven foot two to try to make sure that I, I blocked the shot to make sure I wouldn't be the goat. Uh, but uh, so we won, and and of course looking up and seeing my my family, my mom and dad watching the game is just fabulous. I mean, as players, we we get the the thrill of the challenge, the thrill of being part of a team, and so to share that not only with the fans but my fans, you know, my family, my friends, the people I grew up with in Edmonton my whole life, that really was special. But I was one of the first people to get off the uh, the ice. And, uh, you know, I, I just sweat like anything. I think about going for a run. I start sweating. Uh, often I'll, I'll lose 20 pounds or I would have lost 20 pounds in a game. So I'm very thirsty. Anyway, I walked into the dressing room and I see all these bottles of champagne. And I grab this bottle. I'm so thirsty. I grab this bottle and I start to chug this champagne. And then I look and there's the Hockey Night in Canada televisions <laughs> wondering whether i'm an alcoholic or something i'm just so damn thirsty because it's been such a great game so i put it down and it kind of said, okay let's wait for the guys to come in but uh, you talk about uh the goal that i i did score which i do remember that one i don't remember many of them but i want to tell you about the goal i didn't score because this is an even better story and i think okay. it's reflective of i think it's reflective of, of how you got to live your life and anyway we were playing against chicago and we were up three to one. Uh, we were killing a penalty, five on three penalty. And, and uh, so it was Wayne Gretzky, myself, and I think uh, Don Jackson out there. Anyway, Wayne got the puck and his amazing magic goes through everybody, goes into the into the offensive corner and I'm following it up. And I realize that the, the middle ice zone is completely open. So I'm following it up. I hear Glenn Sather yelling, get back, because we didn't need another goal. <laughs> uh, and we certainly didn't need another goal from me. And it was five on three. So Wayne, you know, thread the needle, put the puck right on my stick, and I'm face-to-face -face looking at Tony Esposito. So I make a fake, and I've got a wide-open net. All I can hear is, get back. Like, what the heck are you doing? You don't need another goal. So I quickly shoot the puck, and I miss the open net by about six inches. Anyway, we go on to score. Um, we go on to win the game, which is fine. But Hockey Night in Canada, there's a fellow named Don Cherry, and uh, and Don and I have never been on our Christmas lists. And Don, in his, his joking manner, said, I'd never let that man do surgery on me with hands like that. So I thought it was kind of a funny joke uh, because it was. I mean, I had an open net. All I had to do was just shoot. I could do it a million times. But um, but the situation was kind of interesting. So, But anyway, not everybody thought it was a joke. Peter Pockin really took it personally. 
and and phoned Hockey Night in Canada and said, we want a personal apology or, you know, we, we won't be playing on Hockey Night in Canada game. So we went to Hartford, I think, a couple of days later, and we were in a, in having our, our meal, and all of us are having a meal, just trying to eat so we can go and get to sleep, get ready for the game. And there's a knock on the door, and in walks Don Cherry. And, um, you know, this is Don Cherry. He's the icon of hockey and yeah. so forth at that point in time. Um, so he starts walking around the table, and he said, you know, guys, uh, try to make it fun out there. And sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. and But, you know, it's kind of fun and doing this. And he comes around. And he's standing right behind me, puts his hand out like he wants to shake hands. But he didn't apologize. He just made a joke of it. So, you know, there's certain times in your life when you got to say, you know, you got to make a decision that you will live with for the rest of your life. So I just kept eating. And I thought, you know, if, if you had have apologized as a man, I would have shook your hand. But this was no apology. This was no better than the comments you make about all those other people. So anyway, he took his hand back and walked out. And I thought, I don't know, maybe that was the wrong thing to do, but I, I slept well at night knowing that if you do something wrong, and I did lots of things wrong, then fess up like a man, you know. So anyway, Don and I uh, probably uh, don't have a lot in common anymore. No, you know what, and and I get that. That's, uh, you know, your your principles are, are what are more important than, uh, you know, than, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I, uh, principles are important, and and it's it's good to stick by your principles. So I get that, and I uh, I don't think that's a problem at all. I think that's fa fantastic you did that. But you know that uh, that date I mentioned, uh, May nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, was a big day. I, I have a memory from that from that particular night. I was uh, at the time I was working at um, CFCN Television in Lethbridge, right? And I was uh, I just happened to be in Edmonton visiting my family that particular weekend, and I called Bill Tuelli, who was the uh, Oilers PR guy, and I uh, told him I was in town. I'd like to get a pass for the game if possible, this game five of the Stanley Cup final. And, and Bill said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I got a pot spot in the press box, and I looked at my, my credentials, and I, it was all access. So after the game, I got to go in, in, into the dressing room with you guys, and me and a couple of reporters were huddled by the Stanley Cup, and we were, we were drinking. We put, we put some some beer in the Stanley cup and we're drinking the beer and, and you walked up and you said, come on guys, you dump the beer out and you poured champagne in it. And you say, there you go. Have a sip of that. I know. I mean, to me it was like, wow, that was really cool. Right. Great. <laughs> Just poured champagne in the, in, in the Stanley cup for us. So that's, that's uh, I don't know if you recall that, but, uh, just like you probably don't recall number 11, uh, for Dover court skating up and down the wing and not being able yeah, to put the yeah. puck in the net. <laughs> They're, uh, in the Stanley Cup, it's interesting because everybody will see the parade and, you know, an amazing parade, 100,000 people and so forth. Uh, but they're really, really exciting times. There are things like that. And, I, and uh, but, you know, often, well, back then we used to get the Stanley Cup. So we get it for a day. And, and I remember going down, I was uh, trying to raise some money for the Ronald McDonald House here in Edmonton. And so there was a number of good community partners that would help us out. So I remember going up to this office and I had the Stanley Cup. So I, I went to the elevator, was holding the Stanley Cup and three people would walk in and they'd look at it and they kind of have a second take and they'd say, no, it can't be the Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's an elevator. And so they wouldn't look at it the whole way. I thought, you know, what? Is it? when could that ever happen in the world where you walk into an elevator and there's the Stanley Cup sitting looking at you? Um, but, you know, many of the great times, it, it's amazing how as a physician, um, you know, people can, 
change the quality of people's lives. Um, but it's amazing how a hockey player can go into a cancer ward or a pediatric ward and put smiles on the faces of young children who are battling cancer. And so it, it is magical. Being a professional athlete, there's a responsibility for our players. And our guys were, were just so unbelievable that way. It really was encouraging. Whenever anybody talked about how wild and crazy our guys were, and they were, there's no question, uh, what they need to predicate that comment on was how, how great individuals they really were. Yeah, the guy, you guys did a lot of charity, great charity work, always have, and, and it's amazing to see. And we actually have to do some some uh, other video I'd like to show. It's it's from the uh, the hat day, the order's hat day. It, tells, it shows a little bit about what kind of the, the fun stuff you guys did. Now, you guys were obviously, obviously a really loose bunch, you know, and uh, you know, you, you talked about the charity work and a lot of, and a lot of fun you guys had. Um, really, really tight group, and and it seemed like I don't know was anybody ever going to beat these guys? And then and then uh, you know and then, then you then when Grain Gretzky was traded, uh, when was that? It was uh, I guess after the '88 uh, after the '88 Olympics or sorry at the '88 uh, Stanley Cup win. Um, what was that like when, when Wayne Gretzky got traded for you guys? Well, it was, uh, of course, devastating for the fans and so forth. And he was a great friend and a, and a great leader. There's no question about that. But long before that happened, uh, there were chinks in the armor. You know, many, many times uh, we would say, let's win it despite the ownership. You know, uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. just the honest truth. Uh we, we love to win it for us, for our players, for the fans, for the city. We're so proud of winning those cups. But it was not an easy time uh, when you're representing, you're making money for an individual who uh, it, it just just hard to have a lot of uh, respect for. Um, you know, we look back, and the great thing about it, and it's funny because people say, oh, you're a great defenseman. Well, you know, when I was playing, I was a very average defenseman. Then 10 years later, I was a better defenseman. 20 years later, I was a good defenseman. But now I should have been a Hall of Famer. I was so good. So as things get <laughs> along, not only do we get better, but we forget about all the difficulties and we remember all the great things. And so that's that's a good thing about a selective memory. Um, yeah, there was there was times that, uh, especially as an Edmontonian, you know, it was easy for the Finns to to you know win the Stanley Cup, go back to Helsinki, their stars and so forth. But you know, I, I was living in the community. This was my community. It was going to be forever and ever. So um, you know, as much as I was proud of the performance of the players on the on the ice and the chance to bring the Stanley Cup back, you know, there were many things that we were not proud of. And and I think the culmination was when, you know, Wayne was was sold basically, and and we knew that that was the uh, the start of the downfall. And but you know what, we won four Stanley Cups by then. So I mean, what? How many players win one Stanley Cup? So we don't want to be greedy. It's just it would have been nice. Or Wayne to leave on his terms and and so forth, but uh, you know it, it isn't uh, it isn't sport. The U of A Golden Bears is sport. It's a business, and you know, it, and you don't have to play if you don't want to. They don't force you to play. So when you're there, you know, make the best of it, and that's what we tried to do. Well, you know, you they you as you mentioned, you uh, you won another Stanley Cup after that. You're only one of uh, seven orders to be on all five uh, Stanley Cup winning teams. Uh, and the owners never won another Stanley Cup after you retired. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I, but, I think uh, it's very coincidence. But let me tell you about that fifth one because there's a fellow in that picture right there maybe 
young man named Adam Graves. Adam was traded from Detroit to our team. I was 32, I think. He was 20. Uh, Adam bought a house. Uh, he told me 45 seconds from my dinner table. I'd come home, and often Adam would be in the playroom with my two boys playing. Just maybe the most wonderful man I've ever met. Uh, Adam was was such a dynamic person. And uh, I remember he would, for the playoffs, he would pick me up. And I'm 32 years old at the time, so I, I'm not like 18. And he would pick me up. He'd have two chocolate bars. And we'd drive to the, to, to the Coliseum. And we'd eat our chocolate bars as he's driving. And he would say, we will. And I would say, win. And then a minute later, he'd say, we will. And I'd say win. And we did that the whole time. And, you know, I, I'd won it four, so I, I kind of was comfortable with Stanley Cup wins. But I just love to see this young man, such a dynamic person, a big addition to our team. We got Joe Murphy, Martin Jelen, and Billy Ramford at the same time. Mm. But Adam was such a special guy. So I remember when we did win the fifth Stanley Cup in Boston. And, uh, and you know, our family wasn't there because they were back in Edmonton. And I must have sat in the dressing room, my arm around Adam sitting there just enjoying the experience, not because of my fifth Stanley Cup, but because of his first. And uh, mm -hmm. that's that was a really, it was an important time for, for me to share it with this young man who went on to score 50 goals. Interesting enough, he, he got traded or sold or whatever happened, and he went to New York Rangers, and he became the second person, I think, after Roger Albert to score 50 goals in the NHL. Anyway, about a week after that season finished, he phoned me up. He said, Randy, guess what? And of course, you know what he's going to say. He said, yeah, I'm getting my master's degree from Georgetown. Wouldn't wow. even mention the 50 goals he just scored in the NHL. Such a fine man. And so, uh, yeah, it was really exciting. The fifth Stanley Cup ring. Now, you know, I only have four kids. So if each of them gets a Stanley Cup yeah. ring, I don't need that fifth one. But to share it with Adam was a special moment. Well, let's talk about your kids because there's a, there's a picture of your kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kathy one one you know went to the Olympics twice and now Jamie was an Olympian. Jessica won her silver medal in long track in 2010 uh, in Vancouver. Uh, Sarah was a World Cup speed skater. Brian uh, played university baseball. That's a pretty impressive brood you got there. So uh, you know when you, when the parents have been at a certain level, you know a comfortable level of sport. I don't really care whether my children went to the Olympics. I enjoyed it. You know, I went to I went to Vancouver. I went to Sochi. What I really like is they're just really wonderful people. You know, Jamie has went to medical school uh, after his two Olympics. He's now practicing in my practice. Uh, Ryan uh, loved baseball, and so we've now uh, formed a franchise in the West Coast League here in Edmonton. So I get a chance to be with uh, with Ryan. My two daughters, one is a, Sarah is an NICU nurse, and Jessica, like her mother, is a teacher. Um, the only thing that really bothers me, because they all went to Calgary to go to the Olympics to play baseball, they've all since moved back, and one of them, Ryan, had the audacity to, build, to buy a house that's a seven-minute bike ride from my house. The rest are like two and three minutes. It's amazing. They came back to Bruce. <laughs> I give my wife a lot of credit. It's so wonderful. We now have, uh, well, in fact, it's interesting, five years ago, we had one grandchild, and, and Kathy said, uh, Randy, we've got this playroom. Of course, our kids are too old to play. Why don't we turn it into a sleepover room? So I said, sure, that'd be great. Anyway, I look in there about a month later. I said, Kathy, you've got nine beds. We have one grandchildren. 
one grandchild. She said, you build it and they will come. We now have nine grandchildren <laughs> and one on the way. So <laughs> like most mothers, she knew a lot better than I did, but it's so nice to have them close by. And whether they won an Olympic medal or, or lost everything they did, um, it's so nice to see. They've grown up as a close family and uh, and they're best of friends. And now we've got nine little ones, one more on the on the go, who are becoming that next generation of Gregs who just can't wait to do something uh, exciting. Yeah, grandkids are are unbelievable. I got one, and I got one on the way. It's 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 spectacular being a grandparent. It's just there's there's nothing like it. Um. So uh, you talked a little bit about the baseball team, and and uh, you're, you're connected with Ryan. It's the uh, the Edmonton River Hawks of the West Coast Baseball League. Uh, uh, what made you decide to get involved in, with the uh, River Hawks? So actually, baseball was my best sport. Um, I played to a level and probably could have got a scholarship in the States, but I was in medical school by the time uh, I got that. So I thought, well, I should probably not give up on medicine. Uh, I'll play the other sport. I can play it here at the U of A. And, and so that worked out okay. But, uh, you know, I really like baseball. I think it's a great sport for people, uh, both women and men. And, uh, and we have a, a fantastic facility here in Edmonton. But over the years, they'd been kind of run down a little bit. Management had been struggling a little bit. And and so uh, a group of 30 individuals, many of whom are are related or really good friends of myself, put together a package. We now have the 10-year operating uh, lease for the REMAX field. We've brought in a team called the Edmonton uh, Riverhawks of the West Coast League. And, you know, not only is it exciting because I think we can really do something for the for the city. We have the Oilers. We have the Elks. We have FC Edmonton the Stingers, the basketball team. We need a great baseball team too. So, um, you know, every Saturday, Sunday at seven or eight o'clock in the morning, we're down there doing some things. And, you know, I, I refuse to do electricity because I don't want to kill myself, but I can paint fences and paint dugouts and things like that quite well. Uh, it's a, it's a, a labor of love, I think, not only with friends and family, but to bring something back to uh, the city. Um, you know, I think every sport is good. You know, if people want to be a fencer or a gymnast or, you know, rugby player, the key, I think, for all of us is to make sure we're active. And so uh, we want to give these young baseball players in Northern Alberta the chance to play in this fabulous facility, uh, $2.5 million put in towards it with new turf and new lighting and new netting. It's, it's fabulous down there. So, you know, I get up in the morning. I look forward to seeing my patients. And I also look forward to going down there, seeing my son and uh, and experiencing the excitement down at the ball field. The medical career. Um what uh, type of medicine do you practice mostly? What's your what's what do you prefer to do? What is your your favorite uh, part of your practice? Yeah, so I don't think you have to uh, you know develop cancer to be a cancer specialist. I don't think you have to have a knee injury to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, after the, I guess it was the 1988 Olympics, um, I applied for orthopedic surgery, and uh, there were three people out of about 300 that were. Chosen. I'm sorry. This was 1987 after we, after we um, won our third or fourth Stanley Cup. Um, anyway, I applied, and on a Tuesday, yeah. I got a call saying that, okay, Randy, you're one of the three that's going to go into orthopedic surgery. Um, on a Wednesday, Juan Samaranch, the president of the IOC, made a decision that former professional athletes could go back to play in the Olympics. So this is right a year before Calgary, 1988. So I talked with my wife, and she was. She'd had enough of hockey. She could be more than happy if I just went on medicine. But I really thought the Olympics, again, would be a special moment, and especially it was in Calgary. So I phoned the orthopedic uh, department back, said, thank you for your offer, but I'll have to pass. 
Um, and I did for two reasons. The 80 Olympics was a, was a great experience. It was nowhere near uh, the Olympic Games in 1980 run by Father Bauer. It was, uh, it was a number of players that were former NHLers or existing NHLers that came just to get an experience. It was, it was nothing like uh, 1980, but it was the Olympic Games. And, uh, and then when I look back on it, I thought, you know, my, my father worked very, very hard for until he was in his 80s. Uh, but he always had time for his family. He always had time for his kids. And I thought if I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon, I would have to give up my time with my children. And so I became a primary care physician with a special interest in bone and joint injuries. So although I don't do surgery, you know, I see people with knee injuries or shoulder injuries or concussions and things like that. So it's been a really, um, really worthwhile career. It's something I'm comfortable with. I I think I know the psyche of the athlete a little bit because I've been around them in the dress rooms a lot. And I think after seeing the 500th knee injury, uh, I think I can do a, a fairly decent job for my patients. So um, the moment I, I don't want to wake up and go see patients is the moment I'll quit. But so far, it hasn't happened. I, I really think that if you're, you're in medicine for the right reasons, and the right reason is to, to help people, then it, it's exciting every day. Has it been hard to be in, in that uh, field uh, over the last couple of years? What you know, considering what's happened and some of the the backlash towards the medical community, and and uh, how frustrating has that been for you? So, you know, there's two schools of thought. Uh, like like everyone, uh, you know, every hockey player wants a higher contract because they're playing for money. Uh, every lawyer does their job to make enough money to buy a house and things like that. And so many doctors, of course, uh, uh, practice their, their trade uh, to be able to buy a house and, and support their children. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, at the end of my career, that becomes certainly less important. And, and what hockey allowed me to do is not focus on making money, but actually, uh, you know, providing the service. So I can't remember the last time I was worried about what I made. Uh, what I worried about was, what can I do for these patients? And uh, I think the, the hardest thing I have is that when you win a, a game three to two, but they go around you to score the second goal, you don't want that to happen again. And so I just, uh, I, I think we set the bar very high with the Edmonton Oilers. And I think I probably set the bar too high in medicine. I I don't think I get frustrated. I just, I want everyone to to, to heal. I want everybody to be able to return to their physical activities after injuries. And, and that's just an impossibility. So I've had to um, understand that what you have to do in medicine is the best, the best you can be. And that doesn't mean you're gonna cure everybody. It just means work as hard as you can. Don't take shortcuts. Don't be lazy. Don't not care about your patients. And if you do all those things, you know, you can sleep all night. The uh... Any thoughts on the Edmonton orders of today? Uh, any anything that sticks out for you? Is uh, do you like the team? Do you like where they're headed? And uh, you know, where, where their chances of moving on? Yeah. So I mean, who wouldn't like this team? I mean, that the players they have are fabulous. Uh, this is a different game. I don't understand this game. It's not the game I played, and and that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, the sticks are unbelievable. The skating speed is amazing. The strength, these fellows are in great physical conditioning. But we haven't increased the size of the rink. So they're bigger, faster, stronger, better shots, but the rink's the same. And so I, I look back fondly on the strategic part of the game in the 1980s where passing, 
positioning, having the position on a forward in front of the net so that instead of him screening the goalie, you could you could strategize so that you were in good position so he didn't tip the puck in. Um, I, I think these players are exceedingly better athletes than we ever were. I'm not sure the game is a whole lot more exciting. I mean, who would not want to watch Connor McDavid and the, the thrilling end-to-end rushes he have? But So I'll, I'll watch the, the highlights and, and watch all the good stuff and all the games, but I find that three hours to uh, to watch a, a game that is, is less fluid, maybe, than what I'm used to uh, is a little bit hard. Um, of course, you know, being from Edmonton, we're so passionate about hockey, so I, I cheer for the Oilers. I don't spend a lot of time watching them, but I cheer for them simply because my neighbors and my patients and my staff and my grandchildren are all cheering for them. So, of course, we all should. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's hard. I, I love the Oilers, and, and uh, being an Edmonton boy it was really hard when when they traded Wayne Gretzky. But uh, moving to Toronto, I was a, a Leafs fan before I was an Oilers fan, and as a Leafs fan after I was an Oilers fan. But uh, it, it's it's I love I love uh, playoff hockey. That's for sure. It's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, the emotions there, and it's uh, it's very exciting stuff. Uh, Randy, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been an awesome uh, having a chat with you and and uh, getting some really cool insight. Uh, uh, you do, you've done a lot for the for that community in Edmonton. You know, you know, bringing baseball there and doing what you do for the team and all the charitable work you've done and, and your work as a physician there. It's just, it's incredible. I want to thank you for being on the show and uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Well, my pleasure. And I should just end off with uh, our trainer, Barry Stafford. Barry uh, is a fellow who played uh, uh, with the yeah, U of A Golden Bears, was not a very good player, heart of gold. He'd fight anybody, he'd do anything to win. He became our trainer and he was as big uh, a part of the Edmonton Oilers uh, dynasty as Wayne and Mark and all the rest of us. And he used to have a saying that I kind of keep in the back of mind. I really like, he said, Randy, there's never any problems, only opportunities. So I think if we follow his, right. his credence, uh, you know, we'll do some fun things in the community. All right. Thanks very much. Good luck with the river Hawks. And uh, we'll be watching out for you guys. Thank you so much. All right. More night, sports bro. when we come back. More Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show coming up after the break. Between the two of them, and Mr. Judge won it. How about that moment, though? Yeah. Two people who had never met became lifelong friends in that moment. On the home run by Judge, the Blue Jay fan handing the young Yankee fan wearing the Judge shirt, the home run ball on the second deck. He's not giving that up to anybody. He is clutching that baseball, isn't he? Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Hey, this is Tommy Grazley, a.k.a. Tommy Gunn. I love two things, music and sports. And when I want sports, I go to the Joe Tilly Show. 
He gives me everything I want. It's a great show. Check it out for yourself. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Good night. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's hpibet.com. Do you know why that happened? You didn't fix your ball mark. The birds around here are very protective of the course, and when people don't take care of it, this is what happens. It's pretty simple. Just find your mark, fix it, and at least one other. Hey, look at the bright side. We're not up on the northern course. They've got bears and moose. Visit moregolf.ca today. You'll find everything a golfer could need from balls, gloves, and clubs to custom fitting opportunities and training gear. Go to moregolf.ca and get $20 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Just enter the promo code JTSports. Yes, it is time for my Cosa Swiss Pick of the Week. Last week, I went to Mohawk for Thursday night's second race. A pace, I took Mr. Beast, a three-year-old Colt, making his second career start, sitting fifth most of the way. Driver Jody Jamison made his move at the three-quarter mark. Mr. Beast would reel in the favorite Sundance Lou. Dwayne Marfisi trains for Fox Racing Group, 8.30 to win. I also had the 2-6 exacta, so we put some money in the bankroll. This week, I'm going back to Mohawk for Friday night's fourth race, a standard bred Breeders of Ontario elimination race, $25,000. And I have to go with their old pal, Ken Middleton's Colt, Bob Loblaw. Sylvain Fillion will drive his second race after a long layoff. I also like an exacta box here, 569 for $1. For all the racing updates, visit Cosa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. This is the Excellent Sports Adventure. Brought to you by Lycom.
Well, that was a game they pretty much had to have, and they gutted it out for the second game in a row. The Leafs fell behind early, but this time they were able to dig themselves out. The big guns all had an impact in Game 5. John Tavares and Willie Nylander had their best playoff games in blue and white. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews teamed up for the game winner. The defense rose to the occasion. Justin Hall vindicated his coach. Jack Campbell was sensational. Of course, the Bolts rallied in Game 6. No surprise. We called the Leafs in 7. That goes on Saturday night. It's been a rough May for the Blue Jays. Series losses to the Yankees twice and the Guardians. And they got jobbed by the umpires on a nightmare soiree in the Bronx. After giving up a game-tying three-run homer, Jimmy Garcia pitched inside to Josh Donaldson. Garcia got tossed, as did pitching coach Pete Walker. Next inning, the Yankees dealt inside on Bo Bichette. Manager Charlie Montoya made a comment about it, and he got the boot. Jays ended up losing the game on a three-run Aaron Judge homer in the ninth off a usually rock-solid Jordan Romano. You know what? This was not fun. I'm going to tell you exactly what, I, what they told me. So that the reason they thought that Jimmy Garcia threw at Donaldson was because Heinemann and Donaldson were yelling at each other in the fifth inning or something. So we decided, they thought we threw a Donaldson in the tie game in the, after the home run. I'm just telling you what, what, what they told me, and of course we were upset because we didn't think that was right. Then when Bo got thrown out the head, you know, we said something, but then I got thrown out because I'm not supposed to argue warnings. So that's what happened. Yeah, Romano's been one of the best closers. If he's not the best, he's one of the best closers in baseball. And, and that's a, a, a team that's playing good. And, you know, you walk a couple of guys, usually you're going to be in trouble, you know. And, and so he made a bad pitch. I didn't really get to see it really good because I was in the clubhouse. But, you know, he, you know, that's going to happen to closers when you keep facing the same guys, you know. So I, I got nothing. You know, to say bad about Romano. He just, he didn't have it. Well, they needed overtime, but the Toronto Rock punched their ticket to the NLL's Eastern Conference Final. What a crazy game at first, Ontario Centre. The hometown Rock roared out to a commanding lead. It was 9-3 at one point. The Halifax Thunderbirds kept chipping away. In fact, the Birds rallied to take the lead, but Tom Schreiber, their sharpshooter, would tie it up, and Captain Challen Rogers closed the deal in overtime as a rock, eke out a 14-13 victory there in Buffalo Sunday for game one of the conference final. It's a best of three. Another setback for Toronto FC, but the refs had a hand in this one. Jaden Nelson scored a goal that was disallowed. It shouldn't have been. The Reds lost one nothing to Vancouver. They're home to Orlando on Saturday. She's back. After taking a year off to heal from injuries, Mississauga's Bianca Andrescu has reached the quarterfinals of the Italian Open, her fourth final in a row. She has rolled over the competition, hasn't dropped a set in this event. Felix Oji Alisim also reached the Elite Eight in Rome. Unfortunately, Denis Shapovalov ran into Rafa Nadal, who just happens to be the greatest clay court player of all time. Our record-setting performance in women's shot put this week, Sarah Mitten. Eclipsed the 19-meter mark for the third time this season, and this effort 
the Golden Horseshoe Prep Meet was particularly impressive. 19.58 meters. That is a new Canadian record. 30 centimeters further than the previous mark for the 25-year-old Canadian. Coach Rich is ecstatic. The CFL draft was held this week. The Argos used their first pick, sixth overall, to grab Gregor McKellar, an offensive lineman out of St. Francis Xavier. Uh, they took defensive lineman Deontay Knight and running back Daniel Adeboye with their second, with their two second runners. Adeboye was very excited. He tweeted up, still cannot believe I was drafted by the team I grew up loving. God is so good, and I'm eternally grateful. Thank you to the entire Toronto's organize, Argos organization for believing in me and giving me the opportunity to come back home and play the game that I love. The Ticats traded their first runner, taking Queen's defensive lineman Anthony Frederico in round two. Syracuse linebacker Terrell Richards was selected first overall by Montreal. Richards is a native of Brampton. He had 54 tackles and six sacks in 31 career games for the Orange. It was Box Fest at the Owl's Nest, a great four-bout card at Red Owl Boxing in Brampton. Yes, I had the pleasure of doing a blow-by-blow commentary with former world champ Steve Molitor and boxing podcaster Francis for Buzz TV Live. In the main event, Toronto's Zolt Durrani claimed what we expected will be a multitude of titles and a Impressive display of power by the phenom as he stopped Montreal's Flavio Michel in the second round to grab the Canadian welterweight belt. Durani, who is a protege of Lennox Lewis, improves to 17-1 with a 16th KO. On the undercard, Scarborough's Methuen Mahinda stopped Wayne Smith to remain undefeated. Adrian Bembridge is 4-0 after a unanimous decision over Mexico's Edgar Romero Mora. And Bonnie Hunter pounded at a win over Veracruz Gomez Soto, also from Mexico. Great show by Red Owl and Buzz TV Live. Lucas Body of Niagara Falls, by the way, upped his record to 11-0 with a TKO win in Halifax. Nice to see Mackenzie Hughes bounce back. A top 10 finish at the Wells Fargo. Now, here's our shot of the week. Number 12 at Windance. All right. 141 yards to the flag. Men's night. Opening day. Looking good. Right side. Pin high. There it is. Get in the hole. <laughs> God damn it. Four. Today's environmental tip avoid using bottled water. Yes, the process of manufacturing water bottles contributes to water shortages. It takes more water to produce a plastic water bottle than there is water inside the bottle. Transporting bottled water creates more greenhouse gases. It takes over 1,000 years for plastic water bottles to decompose and the process leaks harmful chemicals into the soil. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, 
We're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. Yes, we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. I highly recommend them all. A reminder, the show is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV. Also, please like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. It's free. All of our great past shows and clips are on there. Thanks once again to Randy Gregg for being on the show. Thank you for watching. Join us next week when former Leaf great Gary Monahan drops by. We'll see you then. To you by Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in the early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905-686-5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416 Get Aldo or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more.